Hey, this is Mark Justice, and welcome back to Between the Lines. You might recognize this guy, kids. Ivan Lopez is back for another episode. Uh, Ivan is a horror writer and uh, also does horror movie reviews. So, Ivan, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be back. Good. Happy to have you. Um, yeah, we're going to have a good time. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you're feeling better, you know, and I... Uh, I, for like a month, I had an upper respiratory infection that just wouldn't let go. So, you know, I kind of get the whole coughing thing. I'm still coughing a little bit. Um, five weeks, you know, and afterwards. So I, I get it. It just hangs on. So if you see me uh, muting and then coughing, that's what I'm doing. Just like I want to do right now. So, um, Ivan, I always like to start with some, uh, you know, broad background kinds of questions so um who are some of your favorite writers oh wow uh well <laughs> some well some of my favorite writers are um well stoker <laughs> uh, nice yeah uh, i i swear that wasn't in preparation for that question uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I really, really love Dracula. Um, as a lot of people think, that's kind of a hard read, um, but I think it's a very uh, creative read. I like the way that it's presented um, in the diary form. Oh, absolutely! I think it's fantastic yeah. to be able to tell a cohesive story in in that in that way. Yeah, um, and what people don't know, I think, I believe, if I'm if I'm correct, that it was released it, serialized in newspapers before it got put into a novel form yeah so it would make sense you know to have these ongoing letters and to kind of drag it out because he's getting paid by the word you know and it just keeps people coming back for more newspapers i mean because it's a it's a thick book it's you know yeah. 400 and some pages yeah i mean how brilliant of of a, of a strategy is that to, to release your work you know and it's kind of one of those it's a very synergistic type of type of uh, uh publishing where the newspaper will get will get some uh some revenue out of it so will you you know just keep mm -hmm. going you just feed off of each other you know that's the yeah. going with that was fantastic mm -hmm. when i was in college i was taking a history class it was medieval england i think history of medieval england and i took a page from Bram Stoker and uh, a, in, in lieu of doing a, a traditional research paper, because I was just so burned out doing so many papers, I asked my professor, because I had a BFA in creative writing, so I was doing a creative writing tract, and I asked my professor if I could do a creative research paper. So essentially what I did, I, was, I wanted to just research monks and monastery life, and so my paper was a series of letters from the monk to his family, all about like everyday life and chores at the monastery and the things that they did. So, you know, it was enough for me, for the instructor to know that I did my research and I did all that, but I could put it in a way that it wasn't so rigidly structured as a research paper. So uh, that was one of my favorite papers, you know, to write because um, it was serialized like that. It was like, you know, 20 or so different letters, um, you know, to his family. I, I would love to, I would love to read, to read that. Yeah, that's something that really, <laughs> yeah, just conceptually alone, I think, is, is such a great idea. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I still have that paper. It, boy, 
if if I did, you know, I I usually kept all my papers and stuff. It's probably in a box somewhere, you know. But uh, if I find it, I'll be happy to like scan it and send it to you. Oh, fantastic! Uh, I'd love that. Yeah, it, it's 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 somewhere stuck in a bin. It's probably going to be like trying to find like, you know, the uh, um oh the. <laughs> I, I'm thinking. I'm blanking out. The the Indiana Jones, uh, the the where is the Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. It's probably going to be something like that. It's going to be stuck in a box somewhere in the back room, under like piles of all kinds of other junk. But if I ever do find it, it'll be on your way. Yeah, I mean, like don't 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 break your back looking for it or anything. But you know, if you do find it, yeah. I'm happy to. Happy mm-hmm. to yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and my friend, uh, Fred Wright, who I went to college with, one of his novels is called Blog Love Omega Glee, or Blog. And it is also a series of blog posts um, written between two people running, you know, going back and forth uh, at the end, of the supposed end of the world during the course of a year. So these blog posts are kind of going back and forth. So that's another similar format. It's, it's more comedic and satirical. Um, but it's another similar format to that. It was for him, it was an easy way to write. Like I could, you know, I could do a blog post that I could do a few hundred words without having it really to be a structured kind of continual story. The blogs kind of tell the story as they go, you know? Man. See, I really, I really admire presenting content in a different way. You know, it's, it's, it's great to read a, a, your, your run of the mill narrative but to be able to do it in a way that makes people almost question the reality you know uh if if people were reading um bram stoker's dracula back then being that it was in diary entries somebody could have thought that that was real Mm -hmm. somebody could have been witnessing these things happening you know yeah or something to to be presented to a society in that way, uh, I think can really change the way that stories are told. You know, it, I just, I love it. I love it so much. Excellent. So what were some of your favorite books growing up? Uh, well, the book that got me into, uh, I guess, into reading um, let alone into horror or writing, is A Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, I read that when I was really young. And uh, it's written in a different way. It's different English because of, you know, it's a product of its time. So, um, but it still grabbed me, you know. And I love the, I love the theme of duality in it. I love the... Uh, uh, the undertones in it and i love that it was able to be told in such a short uh it's in such a short span because it's not yeah it's it's not it's like a i don't even know if it's novella length almost yeah it's right there (laughs) right right it's like like a yeah like pulp you know or yeah novella rather not not quite a pulp even um it's very very close to novella length but it's not quite there you know but i like I, I admired it because I write mostly short form 
you know, fiction. I write short stories, and you know, the book I have out right now is a novella. So, um, I I write better in a short form than I do in in, in a long. Even though I'm going to try to tackle that a little bit later, but uh, that really grabbed me. It, it really uh, inspired me to write the way that I do now. Uh, how how did it inspire you? Was it the, as far as the structure, the form, uh, you know, Robert Louis Stevenson, he wrote multi different genres. I mean, I think, I don't know, did he write any other horror than uh, that? Trying to. I mean, he did a lot of adventure. He did lots of adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was, that was more of his bread and butter. Was, was mm -hmm. Like Richard Kipling wrote all kinds of stories of India and all this adventure, you know, back when these places were still considered exotic you know, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, um, writing about Tarzan and, you know, to the early 20th century sensibilities, these, these were other worlds, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Uh, so I think the, the, what really inspired me about this book was I wasn't exposed to a lot of like, you know, horror um before then like i mean there are some movies and, and and such but not not to the point of sci-fi horror i guess <clears throat> and this was my real introduction to the the uh, marrying of different genres in in one work uh to to the to the extent that this book does because you, know, you you're always going to have some crossover in in your story, but for two themes to be, for two genres to be so parallel to each other, you know, you have your science fiction, you have your horror, you know they're there and they're working together. You know, it's not a right. little bit of romance, a little bit of science fiction, like side stories. Like no, these two things are here. They, 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 these are the these are the themes. Um, I it's, really love that. It's similar to uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yes. in that regard yeah you know it's it's science fiction it's science fantasy it's horror you know it's all those things um yeah uh, and and what a great moral lesson you know this idea of hubris and it's it's like it's greek tragedy at, at its core mm -hmm. you know yes. you here's here's this hero who has an amazing ability and thinks himself to be equal to the gods or in this case now i know what it got you know feels like to be god um and it, it, everything called you know falls on down and just the gods like nah nah guess no 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 we're not gonna let that happen you know it, right. it yeah it is uh certainly tragic in in that kind of scope of things yeah the universe will always remind you that you are human yes uh, <laughs> it will you will never you will never be godlike don't try it Mm -hmm. uh, and I love I I love those types of stories. And th those stories they they they're old, you know. They it's not a new theme. So for stories like Frankenstein or or like Jekyll and Hyde, it's it is a retelling of that theme, but doing it in a different way. You know, as as I grew uh, as I grew and read the book more and more. I started to admire that part of the book more, you know, where it's like, this is a really great retelling of a, of a theme that we've heard over and over and over again. 
I just really love this type of retelling, you know, a specific one. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere, <clears throat> I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it sounds like it is, um, that when Robert Louis Stevenson's wife read his original draft, she was so terrified, she threw it, like horrified by it, she threw it in the fire, fireplace. And, yeah, and so he uh, he had to write it again. Um, you know, so I got to wonder how much of that draft changed, you know, with any significant rewriting revision change comes, but I, I just thought, Oh man, I wonder what was in that first draft. Um, I kind of wonder, is this new draft less terrifying because did he rewrite it so that his wife can read it? Right. Yeah. We have to gauge the sensibilities of his, you know, the Victorian audience that he's writing for. And it's like, it's like when you read Nathaniel Hawthorne, I still think his horror is still effective because um, it really is good at evoking the paranoia of that kind of Puritan paranoia that was around New England um, and, and just kind of that religious fervor and demons and lurking, um, you know, everywhere. And uh, so, no, I, I totally like that. I totally get that, you know, not imagine the, the macabre, you know, people always love horror stories have been around you know, for a long time. We love horror. We love being scared and frightened in a way that's safe, you know, um, because ultimately horror is rather, you know, kind of conservative in a way where it kind of reinforces some of the things about the world. You know, we leave a horror film, we get scared, we leave and we realize my life could be worse. could be like that person who's been stalked by the supernatural monster, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and it, we love to learn that way. We love to learn things. You know? Yeah. And I, I think what's great about the horror genre that that gives it, um, uh, it, it this it's so deserving of respect that society doesn't give it because those were words, and I swear to God that those were, those words were supposed to make sense. I, I just read them back in my mind like those words didn't make any sense. Uh, horror deserves respect that society doesn't give it. And, and it's because it's so cautionary in its stories mm-hmm. and you don't pay attention to it because most of the time it's shrouded in blood and guts, <laughs> you know, right. uh, it's shrouded in, in, in terror, you know, and people uh, tend to not get past being scared. But later on, when they think back on it, they're like, ah, oh, it was about this, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that more people need to pay attention to those to those types of things. Science fiction does it very well, and science fiction does it in a less obvious way. Yeah, and I think that's why it gets a, it garners a little bit more uh, respect than horror. Horror is a lot more subtle with it, you know. I think for a while they were interchangeable. I mean, especially in the fifties when we think about like the giant bug movies that we had all over the, you know, the States. And, um, but you still have stellar examples of science fiction, like the thing from another world, um, the day the earth stood still forbidden planet. You know, these are just magical films and they, they really appeal to smart writing and smart storytelling, you know, borrowing on other sources 
you know, I mean, from the Tempest to, you know, to, to these classic themes. And then, you know, also representing what was going on at the time, the culture of the zeitgeist in the 50s is, you know, outer space craze and realizing, wow, uh, it's also really damning commentary about the world becoming a nuclear capable entity, you know, a very early anti-war science fiction film. And uh, so, but I think because science fiction is rational at its root, it, it, it appeals to the rational side of us, whereas horror appeals to the nightmare, you know, the irrational. I think that's what a main difference is. And, uh, you know, I, I think really good horror can yeah, has to be watched and it can be appreciated. This is something, this is kind of leading into what I was wanting to ask you about, because I know other than writing horror stories, you also do horror movie reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to ask you, like, what makes a good horror story to you? Oh, man. Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, I don't think so, but anyone's asked me that. Uh, so I think that it, no matter how you present it, um, I think it needs to it needs to tell you something you know and it's not it's not just a display of of gore it's not just a you know shock value you know for is it hour and a half shock you know if that's what you're going for fine but I mean personally that doesn't get me I lost your audio I lost your audio, buddy. Can you hear me? Uh, oh, you're back on. Oh, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> I can edit that little snafu out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, but to me, uh, the story does need to tell me something. Uh, there are a lot of horror, uh, horror flicks out there that uh, are strictly for the gore. And even though there is a story, it doesn't it doesn't shine through. You know, I feel that content needs to complement your story, not overpower it. Uh, so when I'm watching a movie, that's one of the biggest things that I'm looking for. Uh, is even though I can see the artistry in your content, because there is a lot of artistry in gore effects and visual effects for. Uh, for horror movies, and I respect that very much, and I'm not saying that it should take a backseat to anything, but balance is key, you know? Yeah, that. some of the, some really effective horror films are almost bloodless. Like how, like the Halloween, the first Halloween, has no almost blood. no blood in the beginning, the stabbing scene with the sister. Right. But pretty much after that, it's, it's, it's bloodless. It's more about the suspense and the, the building, the ratcheting up of terror you know exactly people yeah. aren't just afraid of blood yeah you know people there's so many other things that people are afraid of tap into those things mm-hmm. you know, it builds build suspense a, a horror movie an effective horror movie will haunt you more than it will scare you it'll follow you home yes. that's, that's what i like yeah um what's the most terrifying movie you've ever seen what's your scariest movie the one that just scares the shit out of you every time you watch it. Um, I've watched The Exorcist once and never did again. 
and, and, and here's the thing um, I'm not a religious person so it has nothing to do with your religious undertones or overtones you know it has nothing to do with your religious themes um, it has everything to do with with the undertones the metaphor of losing control of yourself losing control of a situation um, and or or what's supposed to be in your control is in the control of somebody else and uh, what those types of things can do to you and your life and that can absolutely destroy it that concept is terrifying uh, the presentation is terrifying <laughs> yes did you see the original version or have you seen the director's cut I saw the original okay um, and I uh, tried to watch the director's cut, but I was still kind of like, mm, nah. <laughs> yeah, there's most of it is is padding with like when Reagan is getting, when she's in the hospital and getting tests. But there's one scene that you really have to see. Am I going to have to watch this again? <laughs> it's just, there's one scene that has what they call a double climax. Okay. And it's the scene that they added that when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I, I'm like, oh, you know, it, 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 my, my skin's crawling now because, like you, The Exorcist is the most terrifying movie to me. I will not watch it alone at night. No way in hell. And I, I grew up in a religious home. So that, that was even part of it was thinking, my God all this kid did was like play with this Ouija board and the Satan's possessed her. What the hell is going to happen to me? I was worried about my bed flopping around. Like, you know, like, Oh my God, I can't, there's no, there's no control over this, you know? Oh yeah. Exorcist is great. Nothing you can do about what's going on around you. And that is, that is just an awful thought. Yeah. But for you, I will watch the director's cut. Yeah. Even if you want to fast forward into it, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Fast forward, I'll have to kind of let you know where it's at so you don't have to watch all of it. Yeah. But um you know, it's it's certainly after after Reagan is possessed, uh yeah, it's um I'll do it for you. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean even if you just yeah, I want to watch that scene because that's that's the most that that when it happens it's like oh oh god. You know, it's just horrifying. I watched it as a teenager, so now I'm kind of wondering, can I handle it now? Right. I was 12 when I watched yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so you get it. And mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe now I can handle it. Well, I would watch it in the morning, first thing in the morning, so you have all day to decompress mm-hmm. and like watch cartoons and things that are making happy thoughts. Because I swear to God, that night. If you have to walk anywhere far to get to the bathroom, you're going to be thinking, she's in there waiting for you, oh, you know? Cool. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah, I still don't, I, mean, I still, like at three in the morning, I wake up, I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. And I'll walk to the bathroom, like, it, it flashes in my mind, like, something's going to jump out at me. It, it, it just never fails, man. I just watch too much horror. Um, wow. yeah. So, um. Other than The Exorcist, what are some of your favorite horror films that, that you enjoy watching? So um, I will start with my all-time 
favorite horror films, which uh, goes, which actually goes back to what we were talking about with sci-fi and horror being really well together. Alien is a perfect movie for me. Absolutely perfect. Uh, and or at least as perfect as a movie can get. <laughs> no movie is without its flaws, but I think this is as close to perfection as it's going to get. Um, it's amazing. It is. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I think this is one of those examples of uh, symbolism in horror being very effective. Uh, and this movie also, outside of the chestburster scene, didn't spill a lot of blood. Right. No. The chestburster scene was the bloodiest scene in it, unless you count Ash uh, um, malfunctioning. Yeah. His, his blood is white, so usually you can kind of like go either way with that. But right. in terms of like human human blood being spilled, there's a little bit after that, but there really isn't a lot. Quick flashes of the tongue coming out, exactly. lashing out. It's but it's very very minimal, right? Very, very that minimal. that movie is all about the psychological terror going on. It's yeah. a haunted house in space. That's yeah. how I describe it to people who've never seen it. Yes, it it will. It has a principle that I really love, and that is what you don't see is what scares you. I love fear of the unknown in, in horror movies. I love leaving a um, if two people uh, could watch a movie and talk about it later and have two completely different perspectives of what may have happened during the things you didn't see, but they're both equally terrified. <laughs> you done. You you did well. You did yeah. very. You know. Right. Because everybody's afraid of diff different things. What you're afraid of is not what I'm afraid of. But if we can, if, but if we can present a story, present a movie, a book, what have you, in a way that can terrify both of us and tap into the individual things that make us uneasy, without having to tell two different stories. I mean, how how brilliant is that? Yeah, because it starts off as a standard science fiction film you know deep space the the technology it's it's all like grounded in reality mm -hmm. you know uh and then it just takes off on this like spooky ghost story in a way yeah. haunted house it, you know it was like what you were saying earlier where science fiction is rooted in logic so science fiction at so alien at its core is logical everything about it is uh, even down to the xenomorph itself and how it operates and what it's what it's wanted by by the random company for but we get into the horror into the i don't want to say illogical but the fantastical mm -hmm. once the chest burster comes right not, not even when the face hugger comes you're still just kind of like you're still kind of in the science fiction realm when the face hugger comes. right because we don't know what's going on yeah exactly the second that 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 thing bursts out of out of John Hurt's chest, you don't know. You don't even know what to believe anymore. Yeah, it becomes survival horror. Yeah, you know all those survival horror games. It started with Alien. Um, yes, no, I I totally agree. So, uh, last question about horror movies before we get back into your writing: um, Are there any 
any recent horror movies or TV shows that stand out to you as like must watch? Um, so, and I, and this is this is not to promote me, but uh, <laughs> Mad God by Phil Tippett uh, was just he just released a, a whole stop motion um, feature length film on Shutter. Uh, I think it's on AMC Plus as well, but uh, it's called Mad God, and holy shit. I've heard good things about it, yeah. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. It is macabre. It is terrifying. It is poignant. It is so much that that you would want uh, in in a horror film. And it's always it's one of those things where it's it's dystopian, so you have a little bit of a science fiction aspect to it. Well, big science fiction over, uh, undertone to it, and you have a lot of horror imagery. The horror mostly comes in the imagery to kind of uh, reinforce the uh, the horrors of a dystopian future. It is, oh my god. Okay, excellent. Yeah, it's on the list. I know uh, the guys at uh, one of the other podcasts I do, Unsane Radio. Um, that's on our list. We're going to watch it. We're going to do an episode about it. So, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to know what, what you think. Yeah, it. yeah. I, I'll I'll let you know when the episode comes out because we're all like chomping at the bits. Like, okay, yeah, but you got to see this movie. Um, yeah, and, and like, I think another good example of horror science fiction um, is uh, Event Horizon. I love that movie. Yeah, and oh, it's like Hellraiser in space, you know? <laughs> right. It, it's very much, very much like a um, when you when you think of Clive Barker, it's a very Clive Barker esque kind of movie, you know, yeah. as far as the themes that he writes with, and you know. It, it's it's fantastic um yeah i watch that movie at least once or twice a year i yeah i have to that and hellraiser i you know it, i love I, barker is such a revolutionary mind mm-hmm. you know I like his short fiction way better than his than his novel you know, long fiction something changes i think when he gets well there's a different they're just different monsters you know a short story you just hit the ground running you don't have to worry about developing everything you're just like you're there you're in you you just go tell the story and you get out you know unlike a novel where you things have to develop you got meta themes and all these other other kind of things that you're working with you know it's a completely different experience so like his books of blood you know are very fun but like weave world eh, you know just yeah they're just different animals you know but that's um, about writing uh, short stories mm-hmm. i love writing short stories because i don't need to i don't need to flesh out too much yes of any of anything really right we don't need foreplay we're going right to the intercourse you know yeah don't 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 kiss me man i just i want to stick it in and go yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, these are these are little one night stands in a, in a nice nice little collection there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. I'm not even gonna spend the night. I'm just we're just gonna wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. Um, yeah. No, no, I I get it. I I uh, I tampered with some short stories when I was in college. I was doing um, I did some horror short stories, and I have like three or four afterwards that I had written, and. Um, I started working on a science fiction story. I just never finished. I, I have an outline for it. I need to go back and rewrite it, but I, I, I don't know. I've, I've kind of gotten into the thing where I'm writing longer, 
works now. Um, that started when I started writing my movies. And right now, I think the stories I tell, I want to tell are just longer. And that's okay. I mean, in five years, maybe I want to write a bunch of short stories, you know, I, I don't know. Um, although, you know, one thing I didn't think about, I do have a series that I, I haven't really done much with, but it's, it's a series of short stories that are all connected. Um, it's, it's kind of uh, 1880s. So in a very superstitious town in, in uh, Massachusetts, and it's kind of this uh, supernatural, I won't say Lovecraftian, but it's definitely supernatural. But all the stories are individual. You can read them individually. But when you read them overall, they definitely have an ongoing, there's a continuity that ties everything together, kind of builds toward a logical end. So I, I guess I need to dust off my short story writing chops and get back to it. But let's get back to you. Um, other than horror, are there any other genres that you would like to write? Oh, wow. I mean, I really, really want to write science fiction uh, without the horror aspect. Uh, <clears throat> I, need, I need some practice on that, though. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I'm so used to uh, the horror themes. I'm probably going to, if I start writing science fiction, I can see myself slipping into... Uh, into the horror territory and making like a really dark science fiction. Um, but going into that and then like dark fantasy and stuff, I mean, like I kind of, it, it's almost like, like horror is my ball and chain, you know? And I want to, I want to go, I want to go uh, to, to other genres, but I'm still rooted in this. There's old, that, that ball and chain is always going to be there. Like it's going, it's reminding me it's always there. And so that that's always going to be a part of what I'm doing. Sure. So there's going to be some darkness in my in my ventures into other genres. Yeah, but I really really love to kind of science fiction and a little bit of fantasy. No, I I get that. Right. I think I think I, I'm similar in that because that's my natural inclination. Well, I, I often do. My movies are all comedies, but um, and my even though my first novel series, uh, it's a cozy mystery. Um, you know, when those four books are done, I'm I'm doing a horror novel set in the same town with all the same characters because i've never seen that happen before i mean stephen king has all these interconnected stories that take place in the same world that are all horror but i've never seen someone take a setting and characters from one genre and completely turn it on its head and do something completely opposite you know i love that oh i mean i'm interested thank you i appreciate that it was like when i got the idea for like oh my god i'm gonna kill the whole fucking town yes uh i began writing down all the characters deaths i'm like i gotta i gotta kill more people so in like books two three and four i'm adding about 15 new characters in each book so that i have more people to kill off in the horror novel you know oh man so every time i get to a part of the book where we're seeing a lot of people being introduced we're like oh those fuckers are gonna die well i mean i can't everyone's dying i mean it's like it's gonna be like roanoke you know, like the, yeah. like the whole town. Um, oh, yeah. Man. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm so excited. I, I wrote the end already. And that's where it always begins, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and I, it was like a gut punch. I'm like, oh, I felt, I felt like I did when I watched the end of the movie version of The Mist. 
Ooh. you know and i'm like oh, it just kind of took the wind out of me i'm like oh man so I, and i was like oh, it, it was an emotional thing to write there was a part of me that was feeling oh my god i could i could empathize with the reader's emotions especially if they they dared read the cozy and fall in love with these characters and then watch me just mercilessly kill them all um but then as a writer there was a great joy like oh god this is so you know i could tell like oh this is this is good. This is going to be so powerful. You just know, you know, yeah. that when you, Oh man. So yeah, I, I'm most excited about that. I'm, I'm really jazzed. So I got to get these books out so I can write the horror book. So it's, it's a great <laughs> thing to go into things like that, where you get to build a universe like that. So I'm doing, I'm doing the same thing right now with, uh, with the short story collection that I'm currently writing. Yeah, I saw that on your website and that was, that's good. I'm glad that you want to talk about that. Cause that was my next question is about world okay. building, which typically doesn't, I often happen in short stories but since you have this collection that are all taking place in this kind of same this county this world i, I want to ask how do you design your world uh so uh, it actually comes from uh, just places that i've seen around where i live um and i took a lot of the landscapes that i've seen um i live in central florida so I, I, there, there's there's a few different types of landscapes you're some are farmland some are marsh you know little swampy um there's there you know i live in orlando so there's you know there's the there's the city as well so you have a few different things to to to, to take from and i was like well what if i take these things that are so familiar to me and build my own like my own landscape my my own little place in a way that i kind of want it to be laid, laid out you know i get to be a city planner now and just kind of you know play civil engineer with this <laughs> with this plot of land that i that i made for myself um you know what happens to the people in 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 this place uh are the people connected or or are they not do they know, do they know each other uh in these stories some of them they you don't really they don't really interact with each other within the stories but you can tell how they're connected via where they are in the uh in the county um so they all live in that same place uh some of them will uh cross paths soon in, an, in another work that i have brainstorming right now because i want to i want all these characters to come together in in all the trilogy so this is going to be like my horror fantasy uh, a huge thing where all of these uh, characters from this volume and uh, in another volume of short stories that that are all connected, they're going to converge in this novel trilogy, and we're going to see a world that explains where all of these monsters come from. Nice, I like uh, that. It's like the Avengers. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Avengers and, with monsters. Avengers with right. monsters. Right. You know, like there, there's this place uh, that uh, that is parallel to to our world, where the monsters live and come from, and there's a portal that these monsters use to come into our world for X Y Z reasons. You know, uh, and we get to see that world, and we get to see what, what they want with us. Uh, and why these people in these other short stories are having these experiences. Oh, nice. <clears throat> so that's all going to come together uh, that, you know, down the pipe. And I'm really, really excited to, to, to write this, to write all of this. Um, yeah. So 
when it comes to the feel of of this current work, work in progress, uh, uh, it's called the, the Meadow, Meadow County Chronicles, Volume One. Um, I was really inspired by the Martian Chronicles, the Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Where Excellent. He kind of did the same thing, where he had a lot of short stories that were all connected because he was forced to. Um, he, he tried to do a short story collection, but the, the publishers wanted him to write a novel. So he wrote a novel um, that was where the chapters were kind of like individual stories, but they were all connected. He just connected his short stories and like, oh, here, here it is. Here's the novel. Right. It's all about Mars. So there you all go. Mars, you know? Yeah. There you, there you go. All the aliens look the same. All the Martians look the same. So that, that's all the same universe. So this counts as a novel, right? And it worked. So, so right. I'm kind of doing a little bit of that, a little, a little bit of that same thing where they're all connected via where they are. Um, but this is more, you know, this is cut and dry, a short story uh, collection. It's not the, I'm trying to pass it off as a novel as, as, as Bradbury did. Nice. So what aspect of your world do you like the most? The world that you're creating, what, there's something about it that particularly like makes you really excited. Like, yeah, this is great. Ooh. There is the story that I'm working on right now, uh, which is the last story in the collection. So I'm almost done. Um, it's uh, called Shadow Glen, and it is about witches. Um, well, it's about a witch and a warlock. And this is my favorite story in in this series <clears throat> and it pulls its scenery from uh from some rural parts of orange county florida kind of like going into seminole county and, and uh like vicinity and all that and all that there's some more rural parts over there that is uh i love it because it's not typical Florida, I guess. It's not all marsh and swamp and Disney World. And okay. And all of that. It is mostly like farmland with a lot of pines instead of a lot of palms. Right. Um, you don't really think of farmland being prevalent in Florida. You don't. But, yeah. Uh, fun fact, uh, there was a lot of uh, cattle farming in, in Florida back in hundreds of years ago. Uh, there still is cattle farming um, out here, and there uh, there are a lot of, of pine forests. There there are two like different like specific types of pines. I guess this is the, the my favorite part of, of my favorite aspect of all of this because I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to um, uh, nature and the environment because I'm a little bit of an environmentalist uh, at heart, and so I really love uh, I really love um, like botany and zoology and all that. I'm very specific in these stories, the species of plants, <laughs> to show you how much of a nerd I am about that. No, that's um, great. There are two specific types of pines that are very um, prevalent in Florida, especially in Central Florida, and I use those a lot uh, in in describing the scenery. So my favorite aspect about this is building the scenery itself and putting you in that scenery. The story is there. The story obviously is there. The characters obviously are there. 
but I like to paint the picture of where you are so that you can be in in that. It's not just this person sat next to a tree. It's that that person sat next to a southern live oak that you know that uh, you know with Spanish moss hanging over it over its tentacle like branches. You know, I want you to see that specific tree because I think that's so important to the immersion of the story. Right. I know that information. Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> you know, and and maybe just nerd out a little bit. That's for me. You know. Yeah. The God is in the details or the good is in the details as the saying goes. Right. Yeah. No, no, that's good. Um, well, once you have a world, you have to put characters into it. So let's talk a little bit about your character creation process. You know, how do you go about creating and developing your characters? A lot of my characters are based on people I know. Uh, and I've taken elements of of people's personalities, um, and I, li- I like to play with those with those with those. Because uh, I don't like to just I don't like to just take all, a few personality traits from a list and just shove them into a character, you know. Because they may or may not work well with each other, you know. And if a person is like an introvert but somehow gregarious at the same time, that's not that <laughs> it, it clashes. So I'm not just randomly throwing things into a character. Um, if, uh, if I meet somebody or if I know somebody who has like certain personality traits that I think are interesting together, I want to put, I want to see more of that. I want to, I want to put that into a character and show the world how interesting of a person these personality traits can, can make. Um, excuse me for a second. I'm going to cough real quick. Sure. Right. Um, so the and and in doing that i make the character more believable because they're based on real people uh, right. so these are people that you can actually meet uh you've probably met a person like this yeah you know? so i love to i love to put those thing those types of things in in my character so that you can connect with them a lot easier excellent so which of your characters would you most like to have a drink with Ooh, uh, I would, <laughs> I would probably say, um, Noelle Williams, which is the, uh, which is the main character in Shadowgun, in that story that I'm writing right now, and uh, she is a green witch, uh, so she's very in touch with nature. She, uh, and uh, she. Uh, is it somewhat of an environmentalist uh, so we have that in common um and and honestly she can probably make a killer cup of tea or a killer cup of coffee i mean she she'll, she already knows how you know she knows every she knows every uh every botanical element that you know there there is to know and and why it she can probably tailor a a, a hot beverage to me you know mm-hmm. Uh, she knows she's that connected to two things and she is a very um, a very curious person she she and she is very headstrong and she will not stop until she like finds answers to questions so nice. I think that a, a, a conversation with her would be nothing short of fascinating 
Well, my follow-up question is what would be the first question you would ask? What do the trees tell you? What do you, what do you expect her answer to be to that? I expect um, her to have a very long answer. <laughs> um, but uh, long story short, um, in a word, everything. The trees are everywhere. The trees feed the air, and the air goes everywhere. So the trees tell her everything. There is not one tree that doesn't know anything. Yeah, and they're all connected uh, underneath the ground, right? With the, uh, what's it called? The bioderm or something. Is that what it's called? They're, they're connected with the, the trees and, and also like all of the, uh, the fungi. Um, there's like this neural network under the ground where the trees can communicate and to one another like across the planet you know or throughout the continent like they 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 just can talk to one another like which i find just amazing and fascinating and how how simply connected we they are to one another and how we've just taken them for granted in a way that we just never appreciated this and we've really just uh you know just treated our planet like it was our own personal toilet you know (laughs) yeah yeah oh well that's 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 fascinating um let's talk about your creativity a little bit so uh if you can talk about what is your creative process uh chaotic Uh, (laughs) i mean in a word um i'm i am the type of person that does not plan very well um at least when it comes to writing uh, I write down everything that comes to my mind as it comes to my mind. So little bits here and there. Um, sometimes I will form a story around a quote. I just, I said something to myself that was like, that sounds pretty cool. I'm going to write that, just that one little thing down. And I was like, I'm going to make a character say that. In what story? I have no damn idea. But I'm going to write a story around it maybe <laughs> and then I just try to so I mean I guess is like one of those things where something comes to my mind and I try to challenge myself to write something around it uh it that happens more often than not um but I don't outline when I when I write I've tried to um so it's not for a lack of trying I know that it's, it's one of the things that you probably should do um but every time that I've tried I have I have failed. Um, so I guess I just have to find um, a way to outline that fits me, but I just haven't found it yet. So most of my stories, at least in my rough drafts, are a bit of a stream of consciousness uh, and can be kind of a mess. I'm sure my editor can attest to that. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, my, my creative process is just kind of all over the place. And it seems like it's something that doesn't make any sense, but it does to me. Yeah. I, I, I'm all there with you about like getting an idea and then <clears throat> definitely, you know, when you have a good quote that you're going to put in the story, you know, um, some of my movies that start off always that way. I always start with the jokes, you know, like, like for quest for Uranus, the first line I wrote was 
I bet Uranus is a dark and mysterious place, you know, and just like anytime you're going to use the word Uranus, there's a joke, but, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Like usually the first thing that comes with the story is a, a something the character is going to say. I'm like, okay. Cause that tells me immediately who this character is and motivation, just outlook on things. I mean, a million things can be told by just a couple lines for, for me. And when I, inter- when I internalize a character, so I totally get that. Um, yeah. That was like, my next question was, are you a pantser or a plotter? And since it sounds like, you know, you're definitely a pantser, um, you know, I, I'm a plotter, uh, the opposite end. I, I can't pants even my short stories. Um, I used to write short stories with without any outline, but now even my short stories have outlines. So I have to I have to plan ahead of time to know where I'm going to do where I'm going to go. I mean, it's all my years in academia. You know, I just I just have to think that way. But um, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> I get it. You know, and and that's that's one thing I love about doing this show is that you know all of us as writers we all start with an idea kind of back here, and we all end up with a finished product up here. But how we get there, it's just wildly different. You know, I, I, and I, I know people, I've interviewed and talked with people who've like pants complete novels and they're like, they're in their, their current work of progress. It's not finished. They go, I can't wait to write it because I don't know how it ends yet. You know, I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, how, how could you not? You know, my, my plotter brain is just having fits. But when they, t- when I hear that, my current work in progress is like a 23 page outline. They're like, Oh my God, you know, that freaks them out. So, you know, I, 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 I totally get that. I, I, that's what I love about this. It's just, we're all so creatively different, but we accomplish similar things, you know? Yeah. So do, do you, um, because you're a plotter, do you also, can you write non-linearly or do you typically go linearly when, for, when you're writing? Like beginning to end? Yeah. Oh yeah, I oh beginning to end, yeah. Okay, yeah, me, me too. Yeah, which which is that that's one of the other weird things is like you would think that the chaotic mind you would be going like scene here, scene here, scene here, and you bouncing around, right? But that's my bouncing around comes in the idea generation phase, mm-hmm. and when I'm just brainstorming and coming up with ideas, I have a a, a notebook that I keep with me. <clears throat> I just write everything down, and when it gets to be enough of ideas that where it starts forming a story, then I start organizing. I'm kind of chunking. I'm like, okay, I think this would be the good story. This, I definitely want these elements. And then I start trying to fill in the blanks. I'm like, okay, now if I'm writing whatever a story, if I'm writing like my cozy mystery, I'm like, okay, I have to have a cozy. What's the mystery? How, what are the clues? What builds up to it? What are the red herrings? You know, characters, I got to throw them in there. Who am I developing? You know, then, then, then I have to consider the overarching main character has a four book character arc where she's, she's going through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so the first book, she's you know, at the bottom and, and now she's in the beyond that her baser needs have been met, but now she's in this liminal kind of weird phase where it's about connection to people and it's awkward and, and it's, it's muddy, you know? And so hopefully by the end of book four, she'll be self-actualized. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll see. But uh, so that, that, those things all have to be in, kind of in in order so that I know when I'm writing that I have to be cognizant of all the things that I'm developing. So I even color code my outlines. You know, so if I'm working on character development, it's one color. If I'm working on the mystery part, it's one color. If I'm working on the cozy part or whatever, so that I know 
what to focus on. Oh man, I I really admire your process. <laughs> you know, I I wish I can be that organized. You know, meanwhile I'm going for like a week without writing, but I'm reciting the last sentence that I wrote so that I know what where what I'm gonna write next. You know, <laughs> you know, and just mm -hmm. like, when it comes to me, then I'll just go ahead and do it. You know. Uh, yeah. It's, I wish I can be as organized as you. But I know that's just not going to happen, so I better get used to it. <laughs> right. You know, and it, and it still doesn't change the fact that even though I, I know what's going to happen, it doesn't – I still have to get from sentence one to sentence two to sentence three to sentence four. I still have to build the story a sentence at a time, a word at a time, just like with pantsers. You know, it just – I know where I'm going, and and they and they just – have an idea, but I know exactly where I'm going. And for me, that allows me to kind of more readily and easily foreshadow things, um, leave breadcrumbs as I go mm -hmm. and, and focus on things, knowing that I have a clear path. I can take time to kind of focus on like a character more here or develop a side story that just a lovely little story has nothing to really do with, like I say, the main plot, but it's something that adds to the coziness of the book or, you know, if that's where I'm working on the mystery, because that's what I'm writing now. Um, so, uh, but having that outline allows me the freedom to kind of do that. But I still have to get from point A to point B to point C a sentence at a time. And that's for me where the discovery happens. You know, it's intention, invention, imagination, um, and, and discovery all kind of, kind of happen at, at, at times. And that's, those, those moments are still throughout you know, because you still have to write, you know, 100, 120,000 words, you know, um, you know, 20 pages is nothing compared yeah. to 400, you know? Right. Man, it's just, it's, it is beautiful how, how much we differ for, for the same outcome. Right. Our journeys are so different. Exactly. Goals to be the same, and I think that's just I, I, there is there's just nothing that isn't fascinating about. That. Yeah, right. It's it, it it's and I think I think the people who re watch the show who aren't writers, I think it's one thing they really enjoy hearing this stuff, creative process, um, because I don't I don't know the misconception about writing into people sitting down and you know they, but all the work that goes into to writing um you know there's so much that goes into it way beyond that what you see and uh that i just find that creative process so fascinating you know everyone is so different and i think it's great so um let's talk a little bit about writing process uh what part of the writing process do you like the most the start of it uh, and it's, it's because I really love, I really love opening a story because I have now opened the door to a brand new, just a brand new, everything, brand new world, brand new people. I am now meeting people. I love introducing people because it's like, here's my friend world, get to know this person. And I really love that. You know, there's just, there's so much possibility once you start writing the first paragraph, you know, and just the first line I was like oh man now we're gonna hit the ground running and you know because of the, the, the chaos that I that I that I uh that I've already um uh described now I'm also kind of like 
where the hell am I going? This is going to be great. <laughs> you know, I'm running, I'm running into the woods without a map. This is fantastic. Uh, so just that whole, uh, that, uh, that unknown that I'm walking into, I think is so exciting. You know, I think, I think about, I think about the Hobbit going, I'm going on an adventure, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what it is. Every time, every time I, uh, I, I just start a new story and that's my favorite. Yeah. What part of the writing process do you like the least? Um, the editing. Uh, and, and I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but uh, I, sifting through my own chaos is daunting. I can't even imagine how it is for my editor. And I, I, I appreciate her so much. <laughs> Uh, for for have for having to read my to having to read my rough drafts, uh, but I am a, I'm a pretty harsh critic on myself, so uh, having to go back and and fix parts of my stories, <clears throat> it's one of those things where I have to really learn to be honest with myself, and not only from the perspective of no what doesn't work but from the perspective of know what does know what works because being your own worst critic can also allow you to um take out things that work that just because you didn't like it doesn't mean that your audience won't you know they might love something that you think sounds cheesy or sounds stupid or nonsensical or whatever somebody's gonna get it you know so learning to be lenient with myself is is something that i i've been trying to learn as i edit things on my own um before i send it out to my editor um and i think that's one that's the reason why it's my least favorite part because it is the most self-reflective part <laughs> of 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 the process and sometimes i just don't want to look at myself and try to either be like man that sucked or you know or you're better than that you know it's, it's those conversations with myself that i don't really want to have sometimes yeah yeah and there's something to the emotional exhaustion that comes after finishing a draft mm-hmm. And that's why it's always good to let it sit for a while before you go back and start editing, you know, because uh, you have to look at it with cold, dispassionate eyes. Like when I've, I stopped writing my draft because you know, a while ago, just almost halfway in, I knew it wasn't working there. I just, I had been writing because they always say, you know, you got to keep on writing. But like the last four or five days I had written, it was just garbage. And I knew I'm like, why am I, why am I just adding more garbage to the pile, you know? And there was a character I realized when I wrote her in the first book, I wanted to bring her more into the second book. I realized I don't know anything about her other than what she looks like and what she does. I don't know her personality. I, you know, I don't know anything. And just trying to like figure that out, getting a handle on those things. Um, I figured I, I can't continue writing this book until I get a handle on this, you know? Uh, but you have to be able to look at those things and, and, look at it, say okay I've, I've kind of built this kind of a blobby structure it's it's a form it's a shape now how 
what can I do to make it better? And sometimes it takes longer to rewrite and revise than it does writing the draft because you're much more meticulous and careful and, and, and like eyeing everything and all the details, like, okay, questioning everything, like, you know, how can I make this better? And that, that's an exhaustive process. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get you there. Yeah. Yeah. It's necessary though, you know? Oh yeah. You have to. Right. Yeah. And I, I, yeah I don't have an editor uh, per se, but I'm lucky that I have a, about eight people who, who are my beta readers and they're also writers and some are just fans um, and who are good at different aspects of, of looking at the draft. Some are really good at like looking at the story and organization and character development and others are really good at like spotting typos that I've missed or something. So I, I, I rely on, and a couple are just avid readers. So I just rely on their input because I, you know, and they've got no reason to flatter me. So it's just, I told them, you know, I understand there are things that need to be fixed. I want to make sure this is the best thing possible. So just give it to me. What, what is working and what isn't working. And, uh, you know, I, so I, it's important to rely, you got to have other people outside of yourself so you don't get so myopic and, and, and looking at your work because it's just too easy to, to, to get lost in that, you know? Yeah. You get lost in yourself very, very easily. I love yeah. having outside eyes on it because they're going to be the people that set, that really set your perspective straight. Sure. You know, oh, of course. The ones that you have to trust those people and, and, when you have the right people looking looking in on it, you know your story is going to come out its strongest. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, you can't. It's very easy to get lost in yourself when you're looking back on your work. Yeah, no, I agree. So, when did you first come to realize what your writer voice was? Oh man, um, it was fairly recently. Uh, it was when I decided to write. Town Beyond the Trees um, as a book because fun fact it was actually a screenplay <laughs> when it was first written um, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, shoot a I wanted to shoot this as a film and it sat it sat away for years and nothing ever happened with it and I dug it out one day and I read it over and I'm like, you know what? Um, as an, you know, venturing into indie filmmaking with this is going to be a feat. Um, there's a lot of elements in this that are just not, that I, that are going to be expensive. There, you know, there's going to be like late nights with this, possibly overnights because it's all, it's mostly taking place at night. Even if we shot, um, even if we shot day for night, it, may not even work very very well uh, i have an entertainment background by the way <laughs> um so this is one of the reasons why i thought i can do this um <clears throat> but so much of it was just not going to work out uh as uh an indie film a very low budget uh, type of thing um so i was like well, what if i what if i went the literary route with this what if i rewrote this as if i adapted this into 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 a book um, I would only be well, really relying on myself to get it finished. I'm not relying on other people to be there to help me uh, to help me with this vision. Um, I, I have a little more control over what happens uh, with this. I can beef it up a little bit. 
let's 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 do that. Get a little bit more detail and all that. So let's do that. So when I as I started doing that, I'm like, holy crap, this is what I should be doing. This is how I should be telling my stories. I need to leave the um, uh, not the not so much the dream of being a filmmaker, but uh, the desire to be a filmmaker. I said, listen, I think I need to trade that in being an author. Uh, it was so much more fulfilling to write it in this form than uh, to try to tell it from a visual format. Uh, and that's a thing right then is when I found my voice uh, and found that this is this is who I am. This is what I need to be doing. As someone who's made three no-budget indie movies, I completely understand where you're coming from. The logistical nightmare of getting 15 people together to do something, uh, you know, and and it, it's maddening. So, like, Monster Party Beach was my first movie. Uh, it took a couple of years to shoot. Quest for Uranus was a year. Um, fortunately, the, the cost wasn't bad. It was like $135 for Quest for Uranus. <laughs> that included buying a green screen. Um, yeah, I know. It's awesome, right? And uh, But it was a year of work from writing, shooting, casting, directing, editing. You know, editing alone took over 300 hours. So I would edit and, and start my timeline from the very first day I started like putting pieces in place in a rough outline because I timeline because I knew I had the script. I knew where they're going to go because otherwise it would just take them forever, you know, but no, I totally get that. Um, it's a different animal altogether, but yeah, I was afraid to go into long fiction because I was worried that I couldn't write good dialogue. You know, I, I had stuck with short stories that were all about things that happen, um, horror stuff because you didn't have to have a lot of dialogue. And it was through writing the scripts for my three movies that forced me to realize, oh, I told a story. It's nothing but dialogue. You know, I don't have any like action scenes. It's just people talking because that's what they are. They're comedies. I'm like, oh, oh, I can do this. And that's from then on. I just, uh, I mean, I still want to shoot more movies, but it is everything you said about writing. It's just so much, you're in control. It's so much easier to tell your story. Um, you know, in a novel form. And uh, so actually what I've, what I started doing was I'm taking my scripts and I'm novelizing them. I figure I've got the dialogue already written. Now I can just, now I can just put in a, few, a little commentary and some prose here and there between, you know, simple things. Um, yeah, so no, I, I totally get it. Um, interesting foils, you know that? <laughs> uh, because, because I'm as a, as a, Scriptwriter, I'm actually very dialogue driven, whereas you're not. And writing, putting this, in, putting a, a, a script into 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 a book, uh, actually taught me how to knock back the dialogue. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I get it. I I totally get it. That's just so uncanny because uh, I, I, neither of us really knew this about one another going into this. Um, no, I love that. That's 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 great. Um, do you do any research for your books, uh, and if so, what kinds? Um, the most interesting research that I do is uh, for the violence, and the reason, and what I'm saying is like any of the gore and violence that happens between the creatures and the people, the people and the people. I do very interesting research for because my partner is a nurse, <laughs> so. 
um, I get to tap her into, I get to tap her when I'm like, hey, this is what I'm writing. Uh, this is what's supposed to happen. Um, how accurate should, you know, how accurate can I write this? Um, because there's so much in horror that is obviously hyper-reality, as you would in any movie. Um, any movie or, fic, you know, work of fiction has this hyper-reality element to it. Um, but I want this to be accurate. I want the things that you usually see in horror that are so cartoonish to be as accurate as possible because I want that to be, I want that to hit you. If I have, if there's violence happening in my stories, it's because I want it to hit you. It is not arbitrary. It is not, it's not useless to, for it to be there. I, it, it's there for a reason. So if it's going to grab you and it's going to get you, I want that to be accurate to reality. Um, especially if I'm trying to, with my settings, be immersive. If that can take it a little bit over the edge, you know, a little bit further uh, um, with the immersion, then it's going to be that more effective. Um, so you're not going to see a lot of crazy blood spatter or, uh, uh, you know, squelching of, of organs and stuff because every time we every time i watch a, um, I watch a movie with her and like there's there's all that squelching when you're when you're when you're dealing with organs or going inside she's always like it doesn't make that sound <laughs> yeah when you when you watch like a lucio fulci film yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, she's always like that doesn't make that sound and it always <laughs> makes that sound in movies and i'm just like cool i can use that you know? right and, and you know, and she says, like, this is the way a bone snaps, or this is the way, uh, you know, uh, this would react, you know, if, uh, you know, this, you know, or, uh, like, this is the way that um, a bullet would, would exit a body, you know, is that I can now write that to the fullest of accuracy. Nice. Yeah, and I think that's just, that's one thing that I think I, that can give me an edge, you know, in my stories, is that when you read my stories, they're real. Like it's real. Like that's how it happens. Anatomically correct. Yes. Right. Nice. Um, what is your favorite time of day to write? In the morning. Um, I want to wake up and write because that's when I'm the most alert. Uh, that is when my, my brain is the most active. Uh, once it becomes nighttime, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I have two kids, you know, um, yeah, all the work, most of the, the hardest part of, of the day when we have kids, at least with my kids, is like dinner and bath time, getting them to bed and all that. Like that's, once you're done with it, you're exhausted, man. You know, on, add playing with them throughout the day on top of that. It's like, all I want to do is sleep. So I can't write, you know, I always tell myself, oh no, when, once the kids go to bed and you know, you're you know, you eat your dinner and all that. You can take some time to, you know, sit at the desk and you know, like maybe write a paragraph or two, and then you can go to bed. And I'm every single time I'm just like, no, I want to pass out. I just want to pass out, uh, especially because I mean I have a day job too. So when I come home from work, I want I I I work a night shift anyway. I get home at like one in the morning. All I want to do is sleep. So in the morning before I exert all of my energy that's the best time for me to write. So get some of that out before you, before you, you know, blow up all your steam throughout the day. Yeah. 
I get it. Uh, do you listen to music while writing or uh, any other kinds of distractions or do you need it to be completely quiet? So I had, I had this conversation the other day with one of my coworkers. He asked me this question um, and it was the first time I ever had to describe what I listened to. Um, and because whenever he works on, he, he's a, a, an artist and he, whenever he works on something, he has to have a specific type of music playing and all that. And I was thinking, I was like, well, something that I do, uh, there's an app that I downloaded for, um, it's supposed to be for sleep sounds, but you can, you can uh, customize the sounds that are in that one loop. And I make the loops a soundtrack to a scene in the story that I'm writing. So while I'm writing this story, I am essentially listening to the soundtrack that would be playing if this story was a movie, I guess. Um, and that keeps me inside the story while I'm writing. Uh, and if I know the scene that this music or sounds are supposed to be, uh, are supposed to be um, playing to, I also have a constant loop of my goal just going in my head is like this is where you're getting you're going to the point where this is playing so get there you know this this is your finish line uh so i don't really listen to music per se but i listen to whatever can be the soundtrack to what i am writing because i like to stay inside of my story yeah gotcha how often do you write anytime i can I mean, it, it varies. It, um, there are some times where I spend a whole week or two without writing a word. Um, and then there are some times where I am constantly writing, whether it be, you know, uh, time um, at the desk or I'm, or, you know, at, at work <laughs> on my phone, you know, you know uh, adding to this, you know, adding to the story or even if it's just writing um, ideas for other stories. There are some times where I am just nonstop at it, and then other times where it's just nothing. You know, it's very spotty for me. So uh, <clears throat> I wish it was more consistent, but unfortunately, it's not the way my brain works. Uh, my my, if I'm if I force myself to write during the times that I uh, am not, um, it will be garbage every single time it is just straight garbage and i and i and i just end up deleting it and having to start over once i'm motivated again yeah i understand i, I get that i mean i understand stephen king writes every day and that, you know he's a machine um not everyone is like that you know i mean as much as i'd like to i fantasize about being a like a pulp writer who would write you know five ten thousand words a day um like the guy who wrote the uh the shadow, you know, cranked out a novel uh, every month for like 20 years. Um, yeah, there's a part of me that wants that, you know, but knows that that's not, it's just not me. It's just not feasible, you know, yeah. but I got, you know. That's a superpower, but if I were to do that, if I were to even try to do that, nothing that I put out, I mean, I might put out, um, a good story, maybe every other book, <laughs> you know, or not even right, books, like yeah, two or three books, but like 
I would have more, I would have more stinkers than, than success stories. You know, it, it's, I want to be able to, uh, everything that I put out, I want it to be enjoyable. Um, and I, you know, to, to at least some of the people that, that read it. Um, I don't want to put out something for the sakes of putting it out, you know? Yeah, I, I get it. The quality over quantity kind of, kind of piece of it. Right. So tell me how you felt when you saw your book in print. Well, you, will, you have a you have a, you have a book or a collection of short stories that was printed? Um, I have a novella. Novella. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you felt seeing your novella in print for the first time. It was very surreal. Um, it's the first thing I've ever published. So, oh, excuse me. Woo. Um, first thing I ever published. It was, it was, I teared up a little bit because <laughs> I've been writing my whole life, you know, and never, never thought about anything that I've written being seen by anybody but me you know but myself or like anybody that i've given a screenplay or something to just to just to read it but when this came out the 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 possibility that there are going to be people i've never met who might come across this and read it uh was a highly emotional moment for me you know and it is a self-published book and even going through that process i was just kind of like i i've done i've done this i've done i've done quite a bit here um and i couldn't wrap my head around it for a few days you know i i announced that i that i released it um, it came out of nowhere. It was like no warning to anybody that, hey, here's a thing that I'm doing. It was just the book is out. Guess what I did, everybody? You know, um, and getting that, you know, that, then some of the praise came, you know, some of, some of the reviews came, you know, every now and then I got a review and I was just like, oh, my God. you know, people are, people are actually reading this. People are actually um, enjoying this. And then, you know, some of the reviews were comparing me to, to, to other writers that I looked up to, that I look up to. Um, and I, I, my favorite, my favorite thing in the world, my favorite show in the world is The Twilight Zone. I can watch that every day for the rest of my life and be happy. So one of the reviews, one of the, one of the first reviews that came from my, from my book compared it to a Twilight Zone episode. And I was just like, that's it, man. <laughs> yeah, it's high praise. I mean, yeah. Rod Serling was a, was a, an amazing writer, but he also brought in some of the best science fiction, yeah. fantasy horror writers of all time, who contributed to those scripts. I mean, yes, it, it it's there's a reason why this show's been around for for sixty years, you know, and still plays. <laughs> so, yeah, these shows are they're they're timeless, really, you know. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so to be compared to, to him, you know, and, and to be compared to, to Lovecraft, uh, somebody that said it was, you know, kind of a Lovecraftian film. And, and uh, I was just like, 
did 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 you read what I what I read? Because <laughs> it was one of the yeah. Books, it was like holy, holy shit. Um, yeah, those are big names. Yeah, like that's that's those are some words right there. Uh, you sh- you sure you want to read that one more time? <laughs> but nice. yeah, I, I loved it. It was great. It's such a surreal feeling to know that your words are out there for people across the planet. yeah and that they read them yes every every time i get a sale i'm like you know or someone puts a new review on amazon i'm like wow okay you paid money for this and you read it and you put a review up wow and you liked it okay or even even when they don't i'm okay with that too just the fact that they read it you know yeah people are people are not only paying money but spent not spent or not only spending money but spending time yes your work Right. Assume something you created, and that is one of the greatest feelings. Greatest. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Have you ever read your own work a year or more after you published it? And if so, what was that experience like? Yes, I have, Um, and I didn't hate it, but I also knew. I can also tell where I've grown from there. And because I, I, I read The Town Beyond the Trees a little over a year before or after it came out. And uh, then I, you know, kind of went over some of the short stories that I'm writing for this, for this collection that is in progress right now. And I'm just like, okay, like, I've grown. I can tell. I've gotten better. And that's good. You know, like, this story is always going to be here. It's always going to be what it is. And I'm happy about it. But it's not the skill that I have now. It's not, you know, I'm not as practiced as I am now. But I love seeing that evolution. And that's like with any writer. You can, you know, if you go from, from somebody's early works to the works that they have now, you can see, you know, for the most part, a difference. You can see an evolution, you know, and to see that I think is it, it was reassuring to me because I can tell that I'm growing and I'm getting better and I'm not stagnating. That's one of my biggest fears is stagnating. Yeah. That, uh, I think it's relatable. I think a lot of us have, who are creative worry about that time, you know, when it, things just, we might've had something at once and it's just not flowing anymore, you know? So I've just got a few more questions for you, Ivan. Uh, yeah, this has been a, a quick hour and a half. We've been flying through this thing. So, oh, uh, so quickly. yeah. Um, what is your writer fantasy? My writer fantasy. Wow. You have some really good questions. You know? Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, you know, I try to, I mean, there are things that I, I think everyone wants to hear like writers talking about writers and, you know, there are things we don't talk about creative process, but um, I try to come up with questions that are a little different than people have had had, you know, I knew the same thing with heavy metal horror. When we interview rock stars, I try to come up with the questions they, they've never had, had been asked before, you know, because I want them to remember that it was my show, you know, our show that they got asked this question and um, just you want to find out things and uh, make the show entertaining for them too. So I like the open-ended hypotheticals because then 
it's so much allows someone to express themselves and, and, and let everyone else know who they are. God, it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, but my fantasy, um, I mean, I, I, I kind of think of a, of a specific scenario quite often where um, I'm doing this full time, you know, uh, this is, this is my job. Um, and I, I think about writing in, in a home office with a window that over, you know, that, that has, has this view of, uh, of this, of a pine forest, you know, whether it be, it be in the distance or like shortly um, after my property line ends or whatever, you know, where there's a pine forest that I can look into for inspiration because I love pine trees. Um, and, uh, and I'm writing the next, you know, the, ne the, uh, the next chapter or the next story within the, my, my metal county universe and uh you know my kids are home and i don't have to worry about uh where my kids are going to be when i'm at work because my kids are right here when i'm at work and i don't have to worry about you know daycares and <laughs> and uh it, you know and all that but because my kids are small right now so but uh you know but my my time is more free for my family you know and i get to be home and be more present for my family because i get to uh, i get to work on this passion of mine that allows me to be there you know uh and I, i'd say that that's like my biggest fantasy and lots of coffee uh, lots and lots of coffee <laughs> i i like the notion of the view because i always picture in my dream my perfect writing space it, it's kind of like almost like the top of a of a lighthouse <laughs> just overlooking lake erie or something or a large lake a body of water an ocean something with movement not a not a pond that's static i like the i like the movement i like watching it i like being able to see you know i'm in ohio and i lived close to lake erie and i you know on good days you can see you know you can see cleveland or uh you can see toledo you can um well not, not that far cedar point which is a big uh, amusement park um you know, and knowing just Canada is not too far across the border, you know, it's just, there's just something about the big bodies of water that pulls me, uh, yet terrify me at the same time, you know, um, so no, I get that. Okay. What advice would you give anyone who wants to write? Um, so I will give a piece of advice that I have given on uh, on a podcast before, on an appearance before, because I, I really, really believe in this. Um, and that is uh, the phrase, write what you know, throw it out. <laughs> you write whatever you want. Write what is what you're passionate about. Um, write what you want to know. Uh, because this little thing right here, this little thing right here is will give you everything that you might want to know. You can research anything. You have a supercomputer in your pocket. <laughs> so write what you know. Anybody who tells you to, anyone who tells you to do that, don't stay in your lane, man. Um, take the back roads. Take the dirt roads uh, when, when, you're, when you're writing. Go exploring. Uh, if there's something that you need to know, 
you have the resources at your disposal to be able to make those uh, those ideas and those concepts as accurate as possible. Um, and, and that's like, especially for people who write um, like fantasy and all of that. You're building your own worlds. You are building everything from scratch. Your rules are yours. There are no rules to, your, to, to what you're building. This is fiction, you know? Um, you can do pretty much anything you want. So write what you want, write what you love. The rest will come later. That's excellent. Excellent piece of advice. Really. I love that. Two more. Tell us about your current work in progress. So, uh, the Meadow County Chronicles, uh, volume one, because I already have concepts for volume two, <laughs> um, <clears throat> is a collection of short stories uh, that take place in Meadow County of a fictional county in Florida. Um, and we get to see uh, a few stories that happen around that county. Um, lots of dark stuff happens in this county. We have some monsters, we have some, uh, some ghosts, uh, some, some forces from, uh, from other worlds that, that, come to, that, that come to this county and uh, affect the residents uh, that live within it. So we get to see a, uh, a few of these, uh, of these residents and what they have gone through uh, living in this county. Um, the characters um, have not met each other yet, <laughs> but this is the start of a much bigger world. Uh, a much bigger universe uh, that it, that will be fleshed out in more works. So this is more of an introductory piece to the Meadow County universe. I mean, the town beyond the trees did not take place wholly in the Meadow in Meadow County. They did go out of Meadow County for most of the of the book, but that was kind of an introductory piece character-wise. Um, we may see some of those characters later. Um, but an introduction to the county itself comes with this collection. Nice. And lastly, Ivan, where can we find your stories, your books? Where can we find your works? Um, so, excuse me. <clears throat> so you can uh, visit my website, uh, ivanlopezwriting.com. And there are links there to um, Amazon and to Barnes and Noble. Uh, so on Amazon, there is a print version and a uh, and an ebook version. And on Barnes and Noble, for now, there is a Nook version. I'm working on getting a print version available for uh, at Barnes and Noble as well. That's coming soon. Um, and uh, there you can also find everything else that I've written. So uh, my uh, my film reviews are all there, uh, and it's a it's a column called Gallivant of the Grotesque, uh, and you know, <laughs> uh, credit one of my one of my really good friends Claudia for giving me that name. Uh, I really loved it. Uh, but um, 
that's all there. Uh, anything that's re related to my writing um, is found on that on that site. So one-stop shop for everything. Uh, but if you want to go on social media and follow me, you can do that as well. Uh, Ivan underscore O underscore Lopez is my handle for uh, for Instagram, and I am much more active there than anything. So I will probably stick to that for now. But all of the other links to my social media outlets are also on my website. Excellent, excellent. Well, Ivan, I want to thank you for being on Between the Lines tonight with me. Um, it has been really great to get to talk with you uh, solo and learn so much more about you as a person and also about your writing. Um, we've had quite a few similarities in some areas. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, this has been great. I'm so glad I get to, get to know you as well. Yeah, we we got to do a, a movie watch together, like a virtual horror movie watch. We'll we'll get together. We'll just talk horror films because that's something. I mean, we could talk horror films for another hour, you know, easily. Um, yeah, well, that that'd be awesome. Um, so excellent. Well, I'm gonna do my commercial, and then we're gonna get out of here. You've been watching and listening to Between the Lines. You can find us at unsaneradio.com. Listen to full episodes or download to your device. You can watch us on our YouTube page. Between the Lines podcast. If you're watching, that's where you're at. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can also find us on the Hotel Talk channel on Roku. If you know someone who would like our show, tell them about us. And if you're a writer who would like to come on uh, the show and join me for a chat, email me at betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com. That's betweenthelines54 at yahoo.com. And Ivan, here's my cheesy outro. See you next time, Between the Lines. <laughs> <laughs>